Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So today we start our Lenten worship series, and it is themed Rebuilding the Temple, Coming Back from Exile. And this is not just something that happened historically to God's people. Certainly there was a time when they were preparing to come back after 70 years of exile in Babylon, and to come back and to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed when Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem and carried off not only their monarch and their priesthood, but also many of the powerful leaders from among the people carried them off to a distant nation, and there for 70 years they lived in exile, cut off from the life that they had known, cut off from their worship in the temple, and then came the news that not only were they getting to return to their homeland and their lives, but now they had the opportunity to rebuild the temple. And hopefully we are a people that are preparing to emerge from the isolation and exile of a pandemic and preparing ourselves. So many people have told me over the course of the last couple of weeks that it feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that perhaps we will see a time not too far into the future when we can safely gather, especially here in this sacred, consecrated space, and have more of a normalcy about our lives. And we yearn for that, for it has been almost a year since there has been in-person Sunday morning worship in this space. And as I thought about that, and it occurred to me this morning, I was so sad. But I know that yesterday, I myself took a step toward returning to those days when we can gather here and have all of our voices and our spirits raised in order to experience the glory of God. And so yesterday, I went and I received my first dose of the vaccine, and it was an opportunity for me to kind of be quiet and to watch. Now, I know that I tend to be a very talkative person and very active, but I promise you there are times where I can be quiet for short periods of time, and I can be still so that I can observe. And it was a wonderful experience for me to see how other people were trying to work toward coming back from the exile of the pandemic. And so the experience that I had was that I went into a place and there were all of these people trying to do what we've been told to do, wearing masks and social distancing and practicing using hand sanitizer and not being overly touchy. And certainly there was the final moment where I sat down at a table and this nurse prepared to give me my shot. And I'm not a huge fan of needles in shots, but they don't really bother me. But as she was swabbing my arm, she looked me in the eye and she said, thank you for being part of the solution. And I was so caught up in her words that I actually missed the needle. And as I was told to go sit in a chair for 15 minutes, some of you have had this experience, it gave me time to think about that. That as God's people, we usually have one of two choices. We are choosing and actively being part of a solution or by our unwillingness to be part of a solution and sometimes our inaction, we are actually contributing to the problem. 
And yesterday, it cemented for me, not only in my head, but in my heart, that I want to be part of the solution. I recognize and have mourned the loss of so many wonderful aspects of our lives, not just as Christians and in our worship life, but as an American, as a neighbor here in Crozet, there are things that I feel like I have lost over the course of the past 11 months in isolation in the midst of a pandemic. We have lost people that we love. We have lost some of those practices and those disciplines that enabled us to maintain not only good physical health, but good mental health. We have lost the opportunity to go about our religious and spiritual lives in ways that encouraged us and empowered us. And because of that, we have had to find new outlets and new things to do, new ways to stay busy, new ways to function and work. And some of those are wonderful things that will carry with us well into the future. And some of those things were triage. And so we're looking for ways to come back, not just back to what was, but back better than ever. And that's what the prophet Zechariah was saying to God's people. These were a people that remembered what they had, and it was literally taken from them. The temple was destroyed. There was no way to worship as they had been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years. They had lost this connection, this physical place where they knew they could go and experience God's grace. They had lost their nation. They had lost their community as some of them had been literally ripped from their arms and sent to a foreign place. And now they had this glimpse that the day was coming when they could go home, home to where they felt comfortable and alive, where they felt free, and where they were able once more to experience God in a very powerful and tangible way. And so the prophet Zechariah had to speak to those people and get them ready. You don't just leave a place you've been for 70 years and come home as if nothing had happened. There is planning and preparation, probably some packing to be done. For these were a people who had not only had a first generation, but in some cases a second generation, entirely in exile. There were people whose children had never seen the promised land. They had never looked upon the temple of God with their own eyes. And now their children had never seen that either. And so there was a time to prepare, to get the people motivated in order to come back. And that's what the prophet Zechariah is telling us. Things were never going to be the same after the Babylonian exile. In fact, the name of the people was going to be changed. They went into the Babylonian exile as Israelites. They will come home as Jews. For they have developed new ways of their religious practice. They had developed new modes in order to sustain and encourage them in this time of exile. And now they were coming back and they had to figure out what things were going to look like, feel like, and be in this dawning of a new age. And we are no different. Now I know there are some of us who want to come back to exactly as everything was. That's probably not going to happen. And there are some of us that want to come back better than ever. We want to build something even better than what was here when we left. We want it to be a perfected version of what we had. And that is holy work. That is a difficult task to do. And so the, the prophet has to speak to us to how to do that. And he says that there are four things that we are to do. We are to speak the truth to one another. 
that we should talk truthfully, authentically, and genuinely to one another, not hiding how we feel or putting on a veneer to our words, but to speak the truth, to render in our gates judgments that are true and make for peace. This one is twofold, that the verdicts that we render, the judgments that we give, are to not only be truthful and not skewed for one side or another, but they should also be for peace. That the things that we say and the things that we do and the decisions we make should be about what is right and God's truth, but also what will make for peace among all of God's people. Not to devise evil in our hearts against one another. This is very difficult, for we live in a time and a place culturally where the world encourages us to share those sentiments that are in our hearts, are in our minds. And how many times have you been in the presence of someone, maybe even through a video, Zoom call, or you were had the opportunity to see them and they're talking and all you can hear is your inner monologue that's like, if it were illegal, I would kill you. You are driving me crazy. I would love to knock some sense into you. Those are not of Christ. Those are very human feelings, but those are not of the Lord. And the Lord says that we need to eradicate those thoughts from our hearts, especially. Because when we think something and we feel something in our hearts, it's only a matter of time before it erupts like a volcano in our lives. And it becomes enlivened in our words and in our actions and in the way that we treat another beloved child of God. And that is not the way that God wanted God's people to act when they re-entered their promised land. Instead, God says, love no false oath. Don't revel in the things that are lies and that are wrong. Instead, choose to live a better, holier way. For those of us that are Christians, that would be a more Christ-like way than choosing to do the ways of the world that are willing to tell certain lies if it makes somebody feel better. But instead, we are called to a higher standard, a standard that is as high as the cross on that hill that day, so that we will take the grace that we have received through Jesus Christ and put it to good work in our words and in our relationships with other people. Now, there came a time when we were translating the Bible from the original Greek of the New Testament into the languages of Latin and other vernaculars in Western Europe, especially, where uh, there was an incorrect transition and translation of a word that we often ascribe to the profession of Jesus and even his father, earthly father, Joseph. And that is that we often thought of him as a carpenter, working with wood, woodworking. But actually... It's more accurate to say that he was probably a stoneworker, a mason. And you might think, well, why would that even matter? But if you look at the way Jesus talks about his ministry, he's always referring to stonework and masonry. He's talking about how he himself is the cornerstone. He talks about tearing down structures made out of stone like the temple and rebuilding them. He looks at his apostle Peter and says to Peter, you are the rock upon which I will build my church. Referring constantly to this masonry aspect of his life because there is a strong tradition of stonework in the Bible. Don't let us not forget that God's people, the Israelites, when they were in captivity in Egypt, serving as slaves in bondage to Pharaoh, were masons. They made bricks and they used them to build cities and monuments at Pharaoh's whim. And then they took those skills 
and they brought them with them into the promised land. Now, there was a 40-year transition period before that, but they had taught those skills to their children. And they also hoped that their children would literally build a future in the promised land, that they would be able to build homes that were more than just tents, that they would be able to build structures where they too could worship, where they could work, and where they would have security, protection against the elements, but also be able to build further and have a strong, secure future that they could then bequeath to their children and their children's children for generations to come. So this strong foundation is important because stone is a wonderful imagery in the scriptures. In fact, the original altars and uh, ways in which people had a monument to the encounters with God were done with unhewn rock. They were done with stone because stone would not burn. It would not be eaten up by mites. It would not decay. It would not be weathered to the point that it would disintegrate. Stone was much more permanent than any other. And so wood actually in the temple was mostly used as veneer, as, as a design element rather than the structure in itself because God was looking for something much more permanent for God's people. And so one of the things we have to think about is if we're being asked to be rebuilders, if we're being asked to come back from an exilic experience, whether it's a pandemic or a literal exile like Babylon, God's people have work to do. But you don't just get into the midst of the work and figure out if you have the right supplies or you have the right tools or that you have the right training and that you're ready to do the job. Whether we're talking about somebody who's doing crafting or someone who maybe has done renovations in their own home or somebody who is actually employed as a vocation in construction, you know that there are things that you must do to prepare. And God in the scripture today is telling us that we start with the builder. We start with ourselves before we make sure that we have the right tools, before we take a look to make sure that we have all the materials we need, before we look at blueprints and plans, God says, look to the builder. If you are not in the right frame of mind, if you haven't purified your heart, if you haven't committed yourself to the work, it doesn't matter. All the other aspects of the build will not be true because the builder has to be ready. And so that's why the prophet gave us those four things to perfect and how we talk to one another, how we relate to one another, because nothing will last that we build. Nothing will actually be holy as Christ is holy if the builder isn't ready to do the work. And we have work to do. Because the way in which we relate to each other in a pandemic is not the way that we want to relate to each other when we can see each other again face to face. It is not the way that we want to build a future. In some ways, it has been a triage. It has been a way of simply coping with extraordinary circumstances. But there are things that are vital and true that we have to do. Things that are essential to continuing to build God's kingdom here in Crozet and wherever you are. These are the things that we must do. And if there is a cancer in our heart, a cancer in the way that we think, or a sickness in the way that we talk to and about other people, then we are not the healthy, vital builders that God needs us to be. And frankly, that the world is going to need us to be as we and the world emerge from this pandemic. 
And so the words of the prophet ring true today as much as they did back then, several hundred years before the birth of Christ, when God was trying to prepare God's people. And in Lent, this is part of our journey, looking to see where we have come from and where we are going so that we can make sure that we are perfecting ourselves while it's developing new spiritual disciplines and practices to sustain and encourage us and deepen our faith, maturing it so that it will be strong enough in the days to come. The hope for every disciple is that on Easter, we do not wake up the same person that we were the day before, that we didn't use the time of Lent frivolously, but that instead we focus on growing. That's why in children's time, I encourage the children to start thinking every single day about knocking on the doors of heaven and using their prayer and cultivating that practice So many of us don't practice that all our lives. We have moments, and you probably know triage prayer, where something is going wrong. I love it. Usually it happens sometime around middle school, high school, certainly in college experiences, where you get to that day and you're like, please, God, I didn't study. I'm completely unprepared. But if you let me at least pass this test, I'm going to go to church. And that's not the prayer life that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus wants us to have an authentic communication How often have you heard, you know, have you called your mother? Have you talked to your parents? What if you only call them to tell them that you need money or that your car broke down? Instead, you have to have a relationship, and prayer helps us to do that. It's part of the way that we grow in our relationship. But one of the most beautiful things that I have discovered, the more that I have grown into my own prayer life, not just as clergy, but also as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is that prayer becomes an opportunity for me to connect with other people as they ask me to be in prayer with them and for them, as they give me insight into how I might actually help them in their time of need. Sometimes it illuminates for us possibilities that we can serve and love other people. And above all, these are disciplines that are at the very heart of Lent. Now, I've certainly run into my experience with some Christian denominations that shun Lent. Fortunately, in Methodism, we kind of embrace everything that we think might be helpful. But one of the most beautiful things about Lent is that it is a tradition. It doesn't come to us from the Bible, while there are certainly lots and lots of foundations for 40. 40 days and nights it rained in the story of Genesis of the ark and Noah. The people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, thinking about their decision, their their decision not to trust God and God's people but instead to choose to let their fear have the final say in whether or not they would enter into the promised land. And Jesus himself had 40 days of fasting and then his testing in the wilderness before he began his earthly ministry. And all of those are biblical foundations upon which the season and the purposefulness of Lent is founded. So this is our time Because God is telling us that the day will come when I lead you out of this isolation, when I lead you out of the exile of the pandemic, and will each of us be ready? Will we be ready to emerge from exile as people who haven't just let the time pass, but as people who have been purposeful and intentional about leaving certain things behind and emerging better suited and ready? for the work and the days ahead. This is our time to prepare, to get ourselves ready, not just physically and mentally, but especially spiritually, 
for there is work to be done. Certain churches will be literally building new things as they expand and maybe build bigger sound booths or they're changing the way their ministry now functions and they're repurposing. Others will be rebuilding in their mindset and in their ministry. Is it now that we truly do want to be a place and build a place in community where people can come in their time of need? When they are hungry, they will be fed. When they are thirsty, they will find something to drink. When they are a stranger, they will be welcomed with the ministry of hospitality. Are we a place that then decides to build a bright future where children can be educated and empowered to not just know the scriptures, but to read them in worship and to take their rightful place as leaders in the kingdom of God? These are all things that Christians all over the world, not just in Methodism and not just here in Crozet, are already beginning to prayerfully discern, to discuss, and to envision. But it doesn't matter how extravagant our plans are or how God-led the future is if we don't come ready. And so this work is before us. And how ironic, how divinely ironic, that the prophet Zechariah chooses to tell them If you want to come home, you must first look within and see what it is that you bring out. What comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your fingers when you write or you type or you text? What is it that you are unleashing into the world? Because if you are unleashing human sin and taint in these ways, it will taint what we are trying to build. It will prevent us from building exactly what God has asked us to build. Not just a building, but a people and a place, a living, breathing sanctuary for all of those that have ever experienced what it is to be cast aside, to be shunned, to be exiled from all of the beautiful rights of proper relationship. And that's why it's so important to focus on what we say. Now, I personally have a radical honesty policy. And I choose to be completely honest with my child and with my family and my friends. I choose to tell them exactly how I'm feeling or what my concerns are. And I choose to be honest with you. Not to put a veneer onto everything, but so that my words might be true. And that together, if my words are true and your words are true, that we can render truthful judgments. And that we can put aside those pieces of ourselves that are more self-interested than they are self-denying so that we can choose to be a people who live not for our own desires but for the will of our God and to make sure that those that encounter us as individual Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ but also as the body of Christ, the church, are able to reflect more of God and less of our human sinfulness. And that is a struggle that begins with each of us individually and continues with us collectively because there is always perfecting work to be done when we are fully human. We don't have the advantage that Jesus had, being both fully human and fully divine. We are fully human, and so it will take constant work. You know, one of the first things I noticed is when we went into isolation and the gym shut down, my body physically reacted to this which means that if I want to get back into that state that I had before the pandemic, I have some work to do physically and mentally because I know that when we come back, I want to hit the ground running. 
I know that when we come back, I want to be one of those that is willing to jump right in and say, what do we need to do? How do things need to be moved or changed or lifted? What do we need to do? I want to help. And so many of you have wanted to be part of that too. And I believe with all that I am that that day is coming. I'm not prophetic enough to tell you exactly what day that is, but I believe that that day is coming. As I have witnessed people choosing to be part of the solution, and I have witnessed so many people saying, I am excited when we can finally come back together. Yes, I believe that. I, too, am excited. The trustees are going to have to scrape me off the ceiling of the sanctuary when we can finally come back to in-person worship. But before we do that, I have things I need to do. You have things you need to do. And hopefully what we leave in the shadows and the tombs of the pandemic is the things that are toxic to who we are, that taint the voice and the image of Christ that we share with the world. We can leave behind us our penchant for excusing white lies. We can create a place where we are going to render judgments and use our words to speak truth, provided they sow peace. It's not about just saying what you feel and telling everybody to deal with it, but making sure that the truth we choose to speak is God's truth that will sow peace and harmony, that brings people together rather than pushing them apart. That is the model that we have. Now, I want to share with you kind of what inspired a lot of what I'm doing for Lent. I have a friend, and she actually was one of my parishioners in my last church. And she and her son were a huge part of this third worship service that I launched when I was there. And she has developed many things that don't look like traditional ministry. For instance, she started a chess club where inner city children in Norfolk could come once a week and learn to play chess and get free food. She would go and she would get bagels from our local, our local bagel dashery and provide the kids food. And for some of those kids, that was the only food they were going to get after school. And they would learn to not only use their minds and develop a skill, but relationships with the person that they were sitting across from at the chessboard. And then when she realized that a lot of them had a fear of police officers, she started to invite the local police officers to come and play with the children, that they might forge a relationship and learn to find mutual respect, even between a grown adult and a young child. And so her ministries I have watched over time, and she's developed one that I mentioned at Children's Time, which is during the pandemic, she has decided to use her entire front yard to create a fairy garden. And she has picnic tables for children to come and a special mailbox where kids can find writing implements and envelopes. And it's been such a success that the Washington Post actually profiled her. And what they found was that she created a place for children to come and revel in this land of imagination and share how they felt, share their fears. And the fairy queen writes back. Now, some people might go, oh, well, that's just child stuff. But is that not very similar to what we say to our children? There is a God that you cannot see with these eyes. There is a God that you won't always hear with these ears. But there is a God that loves you with a heart even bigger than your own. And when you choose to talk to this God, this God listens, receives it, and wants to speak back, sometimes using words that don't come from a mouth like ours. 
And so she has created this beautiful place where people come and they share their needs and they find respite and sanctuary from an isolated experience of childhood and a pandemic. And she continues to inspire me. And I told her the other day that this was her ministry. Now, nowhere does it explicitly say anything about Jesus Christ or anything about the Bible. But I am so deeply and profoundly inspired by how she has chosen to be part of a solution for children. And that kind of creative, innovative, responsive thought process and action is being part of a solution. And we are invited into that realm. The Holy Spirit will inspire us and equip us. We are knitted together by our faith and by our family of faith. But more than anything, when we focus on perfecting the builder and making sure that we are ready to come back and do the work, like my good friend Lisa Suhey, we are figuring out how to be the next generation of the body of Christ. You don't go through something like what we have endured and experienced and not be changed. You don't come through something as prolific as a struggle and a battle against cancer or overcoming some kind of immense economical tragedy and not be changed. The difference is how we choose to be changed. Are we going to be an embittered people who simply pine away for the past? Or are we going to choose to be a people who believe that the kingdom of God still lies before us and that we are being offered the opportunity to be guides, shepherds, companions for others along the way? And that that will change how we look at them how we talk to them, and how we choose to be in right relationship with others. But we can't make those right decisions and we can't be the right disciples of Jesus Christ if we don't work on ourselves in union with the Holy Spirit. So may it be so. There is much rebuilding and new building to be done in the days ahead. And it begins with us choosing to rebuild ourselves, to look more and more like the loving, forgiving graciousness of our Messiah and less and less like the sinful mistakes of our humanity in the past. But because of God and one another, we are able to make these changes. We are able to emerge better, stronger, and ready I would even dare to say enthusiastic about what God is having us build now. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.